0: hey guys welcome to the free pizza podcast today's guest is kevin acott a writer enjoy
1: Well, yeah. Let's let's uh let's go ahead and get started, if that's okay with you. All right. Perfect.
0: Yeah. It yeah, for sure. Um. So, Kev, thank you for um being flexible today and meeting up with us. I know it's late over there, so we really that's appreciate good. it. Um. But yeah. So, tell us a little bit where you're doing now. Um.
2: I know you do a lot of things, so.
0: <laughs>
2: I do. Um. You mean work work wise or, or creatively? No. Um, I guess let's go with creatively yeah i mean creatively i think i'm just doing i'm doing a few bits and pieces i'm always doing bits and pieces i've got sort of thousands of little sketches and half poems and half stories and so i'm I'm always sort of creating them but the main focus at the moment is on a uh, anthology of short stories that um are gradually coming together um I've got one completely finished and I've started sort of submitting that to various sort of competitions and publishers and things. And I've got about probably about 14 that, are, um, 13, 14, that are half to three quarters finished and, um, oh my God. I'm a bit of a perfectionist really. So <laughs> they, never feel, they never feel right. Do you know what I mean? So, um, but right. the one I've set off feels as right as they ever do. So we'll see.
0: That's, that's awesome. That's, you know, And I've kind of went through your site a couple of times uh, since Jacob sent it to me. And there's some awesome, awesome, awesome work on there. Um, and obviously you have a lot of experience and I'm stoked to talk about it. But let's kind of go back to where it kind of all started. So when did you start writing and taking like photography and all that creative stuff super seriously?
2: I don't know. Well, I don't know. Um, I suppose I started writing during adolescence, I don't know, sort of 15, 16. Um, but never, but never seriously. Um, because I never really thought I was, I was good enough. I think, um, I read and read and read when I was younger. I actually used to read a lot more then than than I do now. Um, but and I, I wanted to be—I think I wanted to be a writer, but I didn't have the confidence, basically. Right. Um, which is probably still true, right? To a degree. <laughs> um, so yeah, so so adolescence, I was writing, and and the two—I I think the the main, the first real literary influences for me, oddly, were actually music journalists. They weren't, oh wow, novelists or poets or. They were actually music journalists, and um, there was a music paper over here called the New Musical Express. Okay. Um, in the sort of mid to late 70s, they had some of the, I think, some of the best writers in music journalists anywhere ever. Um, and last week, actually, over here was the last time that paper was ever published. And it was a really sad day for a lot of people of my generation, but particularly I, I really felt it because the people that made me want to write wrote for that paper in the late 70s, early 80s. Um, wow. And I read some of their stuff now. I, I was reading some of it last week and some of it is terrible. Some of it, now <laughs> when I, I think it's just pretentious nonsense. But, there was something about the way they wrote, something about the confidence with which they wrote. Right. And the, I'd never read anything like it and, a, a few years ago, there's a guy called Ian Penman, who's one, a, a really good journalist. And I picked up a music m- um, magazine in a shop somewhere. I, I was waiting for something, a waiting room somewhere, and um, I just opened this review. It's a review of an album, I think, it's by the Grateful Dead or something, or some sort of new, sort of uh, yet another greatest hits so of Grateful Dead. Yeah, and I recognised his writing. I hadn't read anything by him for about twenty-five years, and I thought this is Ian Penman's writing. <laughs> that's quite rare, I think, for music journalists. I think there's so there's two really, well, there's probably four or five, but the, the two main journalists that really inspired me to write were Ian Penman and Paul Morley, um, and they both write very idiosyncratically. They they write. Mainly about themselves, to be honest, rather than about the music. Um, but I like that. I, I think if you're going to write about art, you, then actually you can't avoid writing about yourself. And I think they were quite honest in a way. Um, yeah, some
1: somewhat of like a like. You mean like self-reflection into the music, or?
2: Um, just this is what I think. This is what I've been reading. They, mm-hmm. rem- one of the things I, I remember they. They would talk about Nietzsche constantly. I didn't know who Nietzsche was, really. I'd never read Nietzsche, but they made me read Nietzsche. And to read a sort of review of a Sex Pistols gig um, that somehow brought a quote from Nietzsche into it, to me, was just fantastic. It was just, wow, this is like a, you know, punk rock and very clever writing that I don't really understand. It was sort of really... Isn't it? Um, was, was really inspiring to me so there was something about the bringing together of the intellectual I suppose and the you know and, and the I don't know, whatever the creative and the, the artistic that they did mm-hmm. um, I, I wanted to be them then so. yeah so so they they were the first writers that um, I think around the same time as well the beat the beat writers kerouac particularly um my Id- all my ideas about america come from jack kerouac really i was i was a little bit disappointed when i first came to it because <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't full of characters from uh, jack kerouac novels but um and yet it is partly actually i think the myth i think the the myth that kerouac created was just reflecting reality you know, and i think um i loved my, my, that idea of America as being what, uh, a place of potential and a place of freedom is, you know, has a huge impact on, on English people. I often think American people don't realize the influence that America has on Britain. Yes, um, I agree. And with a lot that. of the time, we can't stand you. We can't, we can't stand <laughs> Americans. Um, because, because we have an, uh, this simultaneous inferiority and superiority complex. Yes, we think we're better than you, but we want to be like you. Um, you're like the annoying younger brother who's cleverer and better looking, and you know. And, um, and Kerouac was a big part of, of me sort of falling in love with America before I even had ever been there. Um, so I suppose there were these very English writers that were influencing me, and these very American writers. I mean, I, Kerouac's Canadian, but I, I, but I think he. Um, like a lot of people who do what, what feels like very American art, they turn out to not be American, which I think is interesting as well. Wow. Um, the band or Neil Young, um, Leonard Cohen, Joni Mitchell, you know, those, those loads of great Canadian artists mm-hmm. who in some ways are more American than Americans. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that's an English point of view, so that's I'm not sure whether that makes any sense. No, it does. It no, makes yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah, I love yeah. how you took
0: a stab at kind of our culture. Right. That's <laughs> <laughs> no, perfect. You're just so right, though, and that's that's really cool. But So when you were being influenced by this musical publication, were you trying to write just like that, or were you trying to do kind of do your own thing, but this, that was just an influence?
2: I think I was probably trying to, I think I was trying to write like that, really. I remember writing some short stories that, um, I think I, I was trying to find one a couple of weeks ago because i got it somewhere. Um, a short story I wrote and it was about being at a party and the girl that I had been going out with and was in love with was with someone else at this party and I sat on the stairs drinking bad red wine and then... Um, <laughs> So, so I wrote about it as you do when you're a teenager, and um, and I th- I think the style of it was very um, probably very much like a sort of Paul Morley music um, review, um, and I'm sure I mentioned Nietzsche more than once. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a very sort of s- slightly self-indulgent. I think there's always a self-indulgent way that that adolescents write, and I think I wrote like that definitely. I still I think I'm still. A bit guilty of that at times. <laughs> you still have
1: that teenage angst to a degree.
2: Yeah, yeah, t- teenage, teenage angst. It's very, very sort of dark and um, gothic, but slightly, slightly sort of cartoony. Right? <laughs> so I don't think I was finding any kind of style of my own. Really. I think I, I think I was copying, and I was copying. Kara I, I certainly copied Kerouac. I, I, I tried to. Um, yeah. But it's hard for a boy from North London to convincingly um, write like Carrack, really. Um, I, I, a lot of that stuff that I wrote, I've, I've, I've It's gone. Long gone. Which is probably a good thing.
0: Uh, <laughs> I would love to have read that story yeah, from I, the I, party. I, I, <laughs> that would really
1: great. I would <laughs> also say uh, early work and most creative lives is uh, not reflected upon...
0: Oh, with the with
1: the best view you know? absolutely so not it's, it's usually
0: that's <laughs> <laughs> cool so did you as far as your writing like did you pursue any of that like in school did you or did you just kind of keep it a hobby
2: no like I, I, I kept it as a hobby um, I didn't even do um, they split they split it over here or they used to into English language and English literature and um, I, I didn't even pursue, I, having said that, I had no idea which one I did. I did one of them anyway. Um, <laughs> I didn't get very good grades for them. We we. I went to a school that was for clever, for clever kids. Um, so it was a state school. So you, you didn't have to pay, but it was, you know, it was selective. And the cleverest kids, in theory, went to this school. Yeah. And I think some of the worst teachers actually ended up at this place, So <laughs> It's funny how
0: that works. Yeah, what a good combo.
2: Yes. And so from an English point of view, we had one good English teacher that I remember very well. Um, and I remember re- reading Graham Greene and I, I loved Brighton Rock. That was one of the first novels I really loved. Okay. Um, and she she was part of that because she helped explain it and helped make, make sense of it. And I you know, sort of grateful... For that, I actually reread it a couple of years ago, and I hated it, um, <laughs> which is a real disappointment. I really wanted to. I just thought it's time after whatever forty years to read it again because I've always said that's my favourite book, and I read it again, and it's not my favourite book anymore.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you, you almost had a like a colourful <laughs> view of it from nostalgia or something.
2: Yeah, yeah. And I, but I read um I read the Power and the Glory, which is the one he wrote. Uh, um, I think it was immediately after. Brighton Rock and I loved that I absolutely loved it and you know and do now whether in 40 years time I go back to that I might hate that as well but it's um, but we also did Macbeth but um, which was the other thing from school that really struck me Um, but when I say did Macbeth we just read it we would she would assign character you know you i i'd be macbeth and someone else would be lady macbeth we just read the lines from a book we sort of missed the point really um i think given that it's a play but but it actually i i it left me with a sort of not a love of shakespeare i don't have a love of shakespeare i don't i I sort of wish i did but i've struggled too much but i have a love of macbeth um and we watched, I remember watching Roman Polanski's version of Macbeth, and loved that. Um, so so the school wasn't completely useless, but it was, um, and I have friends certainly who got a lot from, because I think they had different teachers to me, who, who mm-hmm. got a lot from, from that school. I didn't, and I didn't have the confidence to write, and there was no one there saying, you know, you should write. and There was no one there encouraging or supporting really um so i just kept it to myself
0: oh wow mm-hmm. that's wild so i'm curious like i saw on your site you obviously you do poetry so where did that influence come from i I thought of that as you mentioned shakespeare
2: well poetry um again i one, one of my sort of um things I I dislike my school for is that I I didn't come across poetry at school I didn't come across poetry as a kid Um, and this is quite complicated I think I think there's something I think the class thing I'm obsessed with with social class and I think all English people are obsessed with social class Mm -hmm. but there's something where poetry theatre opera classical music are seen as of the middle classes or the upper classes they're not for us and so I grew up really with a a view of poetry that said it's not for me it's not for me um, but there were one or two things that sort of leaked through like um rock uh, T.S. Eliot's proof rock, which I loved but the reason I loved it is because there was a guy at school who was a really good songwriter and he wrote a song based on, this is the type of school I went to he wrote a song based on the um, <laughs> Yeah, T.S. Eliot's proof rock, Um, which I, which I really liked. And so I went backwards from his song to the poem and then really liked the poem. And there was a couple of poems that you, you can't avoid and sort of sneak in, but I I never studied them, I never, never understood them, and I still feel like uh, um, like I'm just learning poetry. You know, even mm-hmm. at this age, I'm just starting to discover it and... Um, Sometimes a bit resentfully because I, I feel it should be part of all of our, you know, all of our development from, from childhood, and it's not.
1: Yeah, it's absolutely. Sort of, yeah. Um, so, when did you actually um, dive into poetry? Like, when did you kind of start taking yourself as far as writing it seriously?
2: Probably only five or six years ago. Okay. Um, oh, wow.
0: That's pretty um, recent.
2: And that was uh, a friend of mine was was really into to poetry. Um, two friends of mine were really, really into poetry, and I think both of them were slightly disappointed in me, and did their best <laughs> in to sort of encourage me into it. Um, a friend of mine was, I was talking about him last night, he died last year, but he was into Keats, um, obsessed with Keats, um, and he was actually from my, from my hometown. It's, um... And I still don't. I'm still struggling. I'm still struggling to get what he saw in in Keats, but I'm trying um, And so there's something about that their enthusiasm rubbing off on me really mm-hmm. um and starting to read more and starting to not I don't I don't love all poetry, but I think it's something that can just make you just Grab you and make you gasp At times And I think those are the poems that are worth me, that are worth, you know, spending time over and, and spending effort on and gloving, really, I think. That. So, um, and I'm not sure whether that still applies to, you know, TSL, it's proof rock or not. I think sometimes I've read through that because it's so long and I've read through that and um, it annoys me. <laughs> um, well. this, this, com- this comes back to this sort of... Um, a slight resistance a sort of class resistance to um people showing off you know well done, well done for throwing in bits of Italian and French, but I don't speak Italian and French so, um Nietzsche so coming back to nietzsche, nietzsche Nietzsche said that no something like no that all good writing demands effort of the reader
3: mm-hmm.
2: um and I struggle with that sometimes I think come on you you do the work I'll read. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's so great. I think, yeah, I think Nietzsche's right. I think we should, maybe this should be an equal effort. You know, I, I shouldn't have, have everything presented on a plate for me. I should interact and work hard. And if you want to use French, then it's up to me to look it up. You know, I don't know. Um, yeah, so, well, so been- On a good day, I, I love T.S. Eliot. And on a bad day, I just find him really annoying.
1: Yeah, it's understandable. I mean, it's it's kind of similar to like that. Um, you know, that, that first uh, writing you were talking about, like how, how you originally loved it when you came back to it, you didn't feel the same. It's almost, um, yeah, you know, where you're at in life, depending on mood, etc. You know, absolutely. that's that all affects everything with that.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. that's crazy. And I I can say myself that recently I've enjoyed poetry a lot. I've actually, mm-hmm. uh, I guess I read, I got into it last year, and it's actually a very beautiful thing. So. That's cool how, you know, to see how that kinda affected you and how you see it. So I'm kinda late to the game,
2: so that's
0: it's really cool though.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It's such a um it's such a vital sort of quick just goes straight from the heart when it works, I think, poetry and mm-hmm. yeah.
0: Um,
2: yeah, incredibly
0: powerful. Yeah. Perfect. So I want to I want to talk about where where photography came from. Obviously, me asking about photography because um, of work is, is so beautiful. I've gone through the site and all the images. I'm just like this. He's been everywhere. So um, how did that start?
2: The, the the traveling bit. Is that sorry? Is that is that is that what you you were asking? The
0: he
1: was asking uh, when you got started with photography, yeah, with photography, basically.
2: When when I got started with photography. Photographer. Sorry, sorry. Yes. You're good. Um, um, again, relatively recently, um, when my, my parents died in the in, in the last few years, and we found loads of photos. And my dad was a remarkably good photographer, and I never knew. I never knew that. Um, hmm. So I think there was something, some, something that that sort of came from him, an interest in you know, the visual images and interest in, in photography. Um, but again, it's just really the last few years that I've sort of almost taken myself seriously um, with photography. I still don't. I still feel even more ignorant about photography than I do about, about poetry. I, I was sort of thinking... <laughs> Ahead of this, I was thinking, what if they ask me who my favorite photographer is? I, I, what am I going to say? I don't <laughs> know. Oh, no,
0: you're, <laughs> you're fine. We'll avoid that question.
2: I think um, my answer is probably Lee, Lee Miller. I, I love Lee Miller's stuff. I, I think she, she was fascinating mm-hmm. individual as well, fascinating personality. Um, and her relationship with Man Ray, I really loved Man Ray's photography. I think they, they're very different types of photographer but um, I, I I think I'm still trying to develop a way of being a bit more like Man Ray and, and, Lee, and Lee Miller and I I don't like touristy type photos and I, I know I take them sometimes. I take them for other people because you have to but I'm trying, trying to avoid cliches really mm-hmm. um, I think you can take a beautiful looking shot of something that actually has no real artistic merit it's just a beautiful shot of somewhere
0: yes i, I agree
2: think, so you know, took a photograph ideally should be something beyond you know just a reflection of um the thing it's a photo of if that makes sense mm-hmm. but i don't think i've got to that point of doing that very often yeah but um, i'm i'm trying um mm-hmm. I don't, I don't feel I've even mastered a, the basics of the camera at the moment. I think I think I have, people have said, a few people have said, oh, you know, you've got a good eye. Yes. Um, and I think that's possibly true, but what I don't have still is a technical um, mastery of, of the camera. Um, and I think I sort of, because I dip, dip in and out and, you know, sort of busy life, I, I I need at some point to really focus on getting that technical mastery because I know I don't have it, and I, I don't think that's being self-deprecating, um, you know, inauthentically. I think it's it, I really do need need that. I know that's the next step that I need to take.
1: Yeah, that's that's a very like uh, just being self-aware, you know. Oh yeah, yeah.
0: definitely. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, obviously, there's everyone can improve on something, and I think I think your eye is. Amazing, you know. Jacob showed me your site and looked at your photos a bunch of times, and the sites are, the shoots, the shots are absolutely gorgeous. So, Thanks. yeah, absolutely. definitely. And I'm wondering, how did you get the idea to tie the photography to your writing? Because a lot of your excerpts, you have photos to represent what you're talking about. So, when did that start?
2: Um, I did. Well, I did have. I had a website about eight or nine years ago that um called something about England. It's um, named after a Clash song. Um, oh, nice, <laughs> of course. And um, and actually, don't know. It wasn't really conscious. It just felt like it's something I wanted to do. To and actually, originally, I was using other people's pictures or you know things I'd stolen from the internet. I just it just felt the the website looked better with both pictures and, and writing. And okay. gradually started putting my own sort of on there much more yeah Um, so there wasn't anything particularly and what i liked doing was having photos that didn't match obviously the writing right it just it felt too it feels too obvious to do something that directly reflects what the story is about so i was deliberately doing a bit trying to sort of juxtapose them a little bit and in a way that was a bit incongruous and i quite enjoyed doing that really yeah
0: that's perfect cool so uh one more thing before we go on to your specific work how you mentioned earlier when you were younger that you weren't as confident with your writing and you know sharing it and stuff like that how did you overcome that and you know start kind of posting it to the public
2: yeah I don't I don't know because in many ways I haven't overcome it In, in some ways I have um I I think there's something about the internet. The internet makes it, you know, as a, as a medium or as a, whatever it is, as a platform, it makes it slightly easier to put stuff out there.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree.
2: uh, Than it would have been before, you know, when I was, I was a teenager, you know, there there was no way of putting it out there except getting something published. I mean, we did have, we did have a fanzine. I don't even know if we still have fanzines really. It's, um, and it was called, um, one of the fanzines we did was called Sad Paradise. Hmm. So it was a self-produced magazine. It was about music um, and football. Um, I was going to say art. It wasn't about art. It was just about music, music <laughs> and football. Um, it was a of mine. And we produced it. We used to sell it at gigs. Um, and we'd do sort of gig you know, re- reviews of, Albums or reviews of gigs. Um, there's still somewhere actually because I've I've seen it fairly recently. I, I've got a I've got a copy of that. It's again fairly terrible, but um, <laughs> we did. We um we we produced that. So, but that was the only way. You, you know, if you weren't signed up to, you know, formally to to be published by someone, you you self published, and, and that came on the back of punk. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think. The, you know, the first fans, the famous fanzine in this country is called Sniffing Glue. And that was, um, that sort of inspired us definitely and inspired all sorts of people. It's the famous, I think it was the first issue of Sniffing Glue. And the front page had, here's a chord and it had that sort of shape, whatever, G. Here's another chord, C. Here's a third chord, D. Now go and make form a band. (laughs) <laughs> and there are bands who will say it was that that's you know it was saying you can you can be a musician knowing three chords oh wow and so the punk punk music in this country went alongside that sort of punk publishing in a way sort of okay. sniffing glue and, and I suppose when we did sound paradise we wanted to be like sniffing glue we wanted to be we've sort of copied copied them um, so the look of it is quite punk and that that's sort of a lot of that stolen you know most of what we do is stolen from the states really we just don't admit it but there's <laughs> a lot of the um, a lot of the way it looks you know the, the way the punks looked in this country we, we you know we think we really invented it but actually we stole it from you know in 74 75 in new york cbgbs and all, all of that you know punk started there really yes um, we we claim it started in London, but it it didn't
1: really. <laughs> it's just a good old rivalry coming
0: back once again. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's like we love you guys, but God, we hate
1: you. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you know, even even today, you know, in 2018, there are still those type of punk zines going around. You know, at least I you yeah. know, I can attest to yeah. that in the states. We actually started on a website called Amplifier, which was started out as a local zine, you know, promoting you know local right. artists, local musicians, etc. You know, that's yeah. kind of how we got our start on the podcast.
0: Yep. So, still very much so important.
1: Yeah. So I, I think the, as they would say, the spirit of punk still, still lives on. So.
2: I think, yeah, I, I think it does, and I think, you know, there's inevitable. People of my age, who sort of, you know, you look back and you think punk wasn't quite what it appeared to be, but. But that spirit, you know, that's 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 the spirit of soul music. That's the spirit of reggae. It's a sort, you know, it doesn't matter the, the style of music, but I think it's 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 about authenticity and. Mm-hmm. I think good, good art of whatever kind is about authenticity. In some ways, Just, you know, saying this is how I feel, this is or this is how we feel as a group of people, and you know, we're going to get it out there. So, cool.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah,
0: I can agree with that more. Yeah, that's excellent. Cool. So, what the accomplishments? Yeah,
1: uh, yeah, I would love to specifically. You know, we usually ask um, accomplishments, but um, I would love to dive into. Uh, you know, the, the mostly year you took for your travels.
0: Yes, yes, yes. I'm yeah. so excited to hear about this. This is going to be so cool. <laughs>
2: um, yeah, I mean, basically, um, my mum my died sort of two years ago, mm-hmm. and there was a little bit of money from selling her house. And I was pissed off with work, and, and I just... Um, Basically, thought if I don't do it now, I never will. I just want to take. I just want to jump off, get off the bandwagon, and and just sort of do something. Um, And I want to create, and I want to write, and I want to do, you know, do what I want to do. Really, Um, it's quite late in life to do that, but Mm -hmm. I thought it's, you know, it felt like the right thing, the right thing to do. And the, the friend of mine, a friend of mine who who sadly died last year, he was incredibly encouraging of that, and he said don't just go and create, go and experience places as well. It's not, don't just go away and hide and sit there writing, go and experience. So that was, I suppose it was a double, double edge. There was, you know, write, um, write and come up with something creative as a result of it, take photos, whatever, but also just try and experience bits of the world that you haven't experienced before. Having said that, I started in North Carolina, which I had experienced before, but um, mm-hmm. it was um, it was great. I, I saw so that first, the very first chat book we did, I did was actually um, based around Roanoke, and I went down to the coast, and which I'd never been to in North Carolina, and mm-hmm. it's just a fantastic place. And um, and the relationship, I'm, I'm I am fascinated with. Me, about the relationship between America and Britain, um, and the two-way process, and and I mean that was where the first proper English settlement was was in North, you know was in North Carolina and or what became North Carolina, um, and so so that that very first bit of writing I did was about Virginia Dare, and it was about that sort of um, you know the first English person born in in North America.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: How what I hadn't realized because I'd never even heard of her, I'd never heard of her before I went there last year. Um and what I found fascinating was that she's come to represent she's been used by the right, she's been used by racists, and she's also wow. been used by the oh, by the left. Oh my God. Um so there's something about saying, you know, this is a English Something about our ancestry in North Carolina is is English um, because the first English person was born here, and um, so that that her this this sort of child who disappeared, which was interesting in itself, but mm-hmm. was, was used by is still used today to for you know like like so many people are used to to. Make some kind of political point, I think, and to, it doesn't matter what really happened or who she really was. We'll we'll use her. Yeah, so we'll use her history. We'll twist history to make her represent something. So all of that was really interesting to me, and um, she, and particularly the disappearance, the fact that so Virginia Dare, you know, was was born into this community, English community in North Carolina, and then they basically her grandfather led an expedition back to England to collect supplies returned two or three years later and they were gone. Hmm. Those original settlers were gone. And to this day, no one knows what happened to them. You know, This was sort of, um, 16th century. And so I love that. I mean, I love that. I, you know, where did they go? The general view is that they assimilated with, the local you know the na- native americans
3: mm-hmm.
2: um, but no one really knows for sure um and i love the mystery i love the mystery of that and that, that was repeated later there was a connection with greenland when i went to greenland that that idea of disappearing communities so, um, so yeah so that was um so that was the first bit of writing was, was going to north carolina which I, which i'm not familiar with but i've been to before but i went mm-hmm. to park is
0: mean, different it's amazing wow that's nuts so do you do these write-ups just on I obviously I haven't read these yet so mm-hmm. these writers on just on different parts of the world the Chapman yeah. series oh awesome, yeah. Chapbook series yeah so, yeah so, um, so,
1: so basically uh, I think the easiest thing especially for people that have, are listening and, and don't know much about the chap can you um can you kind of summarize uh, what the trip was, how long it was, and where you went.
2: Yeah, I mean, briefly, it was it, it was just a few months, but I went from um, so I went to North Carolina to uh, L.A., San Francisco, Vancouver, Seattle, sort of up that side of um, the, the West Coast, and then a sort of a, a little road trip around sort of um, Washington State, Idaho, um, back through Nevada and. Um and then back here actually back to to England for a couple of weeks a few weeks, and then to greenland um spent a few weeks in Greenland on my own in a strange house in a strange place in Greenland, <laughs> which is brilliant i mean that's the the most memorable bit of the sort of travelling really for me was was greenland um and then back again here and then then down to the south of France for um for a few weeks as well, so so there were some sort of distinct parts of the the travelling, and I'd made an agreement with a friend of mine who has a um, a publishing company, and and that that I would produce six of these chapbooks during that that period. So it gave me sort of structure, really.
0: So. That was really awesome, and I guess the sole purpose of this series was just exploration, just writing, kind of oh, what you felt and saw. Ch-
2: Yeah. I mean, I think, I think in a way it was useful for me to have something I had to do.
0: Right. Right.
2: Because it's easy when you don't have work to do, I think, in a way to not, to just travel and just not, not do anything. So Mm -hmm. it sort of confined me a bit to, to having to produce these six, you know, they're quite, they're very short pieces of work, but, but I had to think about them and work on them. Um, but beyond that was actually the short stories, and I was also trying to, and I'm still trying to write uh, a book which is actually a sort of the story of the relationship between white English music and black American music, um, which I, th- I hopefully in, in, at some point will, I, I think will we'll be written. Um, again, it's always fascinated me, that interchange between the two, that actually the blues, particularly and blues-based music and a lot of soul music was sold back to white America by white English bands. Oh, wow. Because of that sort of segregation. So, you know, the radio, radio is being segregated and, and that actually British bands picked up black American music and sold it back to America. And I find that fascinating. And um, the the two-way sort of process between between the two is really interesting there's lots of stories of white working-class kids in this country would wait at the docks in Liverpool or in London in, in the big ports and they would wait for the latest sort of soul imports or blues imports from the States to arrive mm-hmm. um, and I'm just going to turn my phone off because uh, <laughs> it's a, it's, it's a very nice yeah. So, and so that was something else. So I was working on a number of these these projects in, in a way that the, the smaller one was um, was the chapbooks. In, in some ways, for me, it was the less important one up to a point. But it was something that just gave me a bit of a structure.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. I'm I'm curious. So, what was probably the biggest obstacle? Obviously, coming to America is can be a culture shock. So, uh, what was probably one of the biggest obstacles you faced? Kind of during the trip in the U.S.
2: Um, hmm. I, I I don't. Well, maybe. I, I there's um. I can't remember her name now. Greta Ehrlich, who's a who wrote about Greenland. Um. And sorry, I'm simultaneously just.
0: Right, you're fine.
2: You're good. <laughs> trying to get rid of these. I actually thought I'd shut down the notifications here, but I haven't. <laughs> <laughs> um, she she said one of the things that held her back as a travel writer was that she's quite shy. Right. Uh, she finds it quite difficult to talk to people, and then I would actually echo that. It was really nice reading that. Really nice reading a travel writer who said she's quite shy. Because it holds, it does hold you back. You know, you want to go mm-hmm. and ask people about their lives, and you know, but you think, you know, um, there's a cultural shyness that English people have that Americans don't have so much. I think, but but I think a shy English person is really shy, and mm. and I think I'm, you know, I I can be one of those those people. So that's the, in a way, that's the, only, the first thing that came to mind. It's the only thing that came to mind that was a challenge or an obstacle. Was that sometimes I wanted to ask more and talk to people more than I did? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. Oh, and I, I overcoming shyness is absolutely super difficult. So definitely kudos to you for you know kind of overcoming that through all these obstacles and trips and stuff like that. I'm sure that was you know somewhat difficult, yeah. but obviously you did very well with it. Um, so yeah. So what was one of your favorite places to go and visit in the states?
2: In the States, um, I think, um, God, I think possibly San Francisco. Yeah. Um, I love San Francisco and, um, it was annoying as well. I've just realized I used the word annoying a lot. I? <laughs> um, <laughs> um, 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 san francisco at least the people i met in san francisco were horrendously politically correct i was there at the time that trump had just been elected and uh without getting too much into the politics or or putting putting my foot into into your politics it felt like they didn't understand why trump had been elected and it was that lack of understanding that i think led to trump being elected in the first place i think It felt like San Francisco, the the San Francisco sort of um, or California generally sort of creatives are people who don't get the rest of America in some ways and don't get their struggles and and don't understand why people might even be tempted to vote for Trump. Um, So... I, I sound sound too negative because I loved San Francisco. I loved the architecture. I loved the art. I loved the actually the the people were really friendly. It's-
0: free pizza podcast is sponsored by Zipster. If you need a website or online store to sell your cool products, go to Zipster. They make it fun and easy. Go to Zipster dot com slash free pizza to get yours now.
2: Yeah, I, th- I think Se- Seattle. I, went to, I, I was expecting more of Seattle. Seattle uh, was was okay. I, I quite liked it, but it, I didn't feel. Anything in particular in Seattle, um, whereas San Francisco, you know, you sort of think, could I could I live here? And I thought, yeah, I could. I could <laughs> live. here. I could really? be one of these people who doesn't understand the rest of America. I could be a, a liberal. <laughs> I could be a liberal in <laughs> San Francisco. Yeah, that's funny. Um, but because I think it's a beautiful, yeah, it's a it's a beautiful city, and and it's a really interesting, lively city as well. Um, so I, I loved try, sort of going through, I think the most beautiful part of America that I saw on that trip was, was actually Washington state. It was actually coming out of Seattle and sort of heading East and just absolutely beautiful. And also Idaho, um, it's just beautiful as well. I think it was, um, I wish I could have spent spent longer, really. Vancouver was nice, I have a sort of relatives who used to live in Vancouver, Um, I'd never been before, Um, and a much quieter, it's hard to escape stereotypes, you have a view of somewhere, and it's really hard, and and I had a view of Vancouver as being probably nice but dull, and actually it was nice but dull, and and I was disappointed. (laughs) I thought it shouldn't, you know, don't, don't live up to my stereotype, surprise me, but actually it didn't surprise me, and um, it was a nice place, it was a nice place, Vancouver, Canadians are nice people, and,
3: mm-hmm.
2: um, yes, but it was just a bit, a bit dull,
3: mm-hmm.
2: but I, I don't know, you just scratch the surface, don't you, I mean, it's it's easy for me to say it was dull, because I went there, you know, for a little bit, and went away again, but, um. But again, there wasn't any. I didn't feel any sort of emotional connection to it. But I, I did San Francisco.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's really cool.
1: Yeah, I mean, different places will speak to people differently, of course, yeah. and and it's, it's, it's good to hear that at least out of all the places you went, you had an emotional connection with one of them. You know? Yeah, absolutely. It would it'd be yeah. a whole different yeah. story if you went to all these places and you didn't really feel anything. That
2: would be worrying. And, and actually, Roanoke and and the you know North Carolina coast, line, I did you know I, I loved it. I loved it down there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, perfect. Cool.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Would you mind um, telling us maybe maybe a little more about your trip to Greenland? Because that's usually mm-hmm. you know we talk to a lot of photographers and you know other creatives and everything and. I can't say we know anyone that's been to Greenland. Nope. And I think yeah. that was one of my favorite parts of your chat book, specifically too.
2: So. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I, um, I've, I've never met anyone else who's been to Greenland, and I was actually looking for a retreat. There's, there's a sort of international association of artists retreats, mm-hmm. and I was just looking at it. Um, and there was a couple in the states. I mean, they're all over the world, but there was one in Greenland. And I, I think I did. I deliberately went for it because it's not anywhere I knew anything about, and um, because I'd never met anyone who's been there.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And that is really why I chose to go there, I think. It was just that, that idea of being a bit deliberately, you know, slightly different. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went to... It's incredibly expensive to get there. You can only get there from Copenhagen. Okay. Um, wow. At least the time of year I went, you could only get there from Copenhagen, so... Spent a a little bit of time in Copenhagen, and then flew to Greenland. Um, Then another flight in Greenland. Then two flights in Greenland, and then a helicopter into the town where I stayed.
1: Wow! Whoa, that sounds awesome. Some extensive traveling.
2: Uh, Yeah, and the um, the the view from the helicopter was the most beautiful thing I've ever seen, ever. And I love, you know, like I said, I'd love. You know, Washington State, I loved Idaho, I loved Ireland and Scotland, and um, they're nothing compared to Greenland. Nothing. It was just vast, blue, white, sort of just beautiful, absolutely beautiful, um, just breathtakingly beautiful. Never seen anything like it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I suspect I never will. Um, and I couldn't, I really, you're in a helicopter and it was, I tried to get photos and the photos I took just didn't do it justice. It went near it. There was just no yeah. way of, um, of doing that. But so we landed and, and in, in this town. It's actually, you know, a, for Greenland, quite a big town. Um, a couple of thousand people and um, the, there are no private cars, no private cars in this town. Really? No. No one owns a car what? because there's nowhere to go. Yeah. There's no roads. There's no roads out of town. So the only way out of town is by boat or helicopter. Wow. So there are there are sort of business. I mean, there are trade. You know, trucks and and things and vans. But there's no. So the businesses have cars to, mm-hmm. to take from one end to the. But there's no. No one has their own car because um, there's no need for one. Um, so it was. It's isolated. It's um, a mixture. The people are a mixture between Danish and Inuit, um, pretty much over the over the centuries, mixed together. But Inuit culture is still quite strong there. The houses look very Danish. They look very European, mm-hmm. um, but the people look um, the, the people. Certainly look look Inuit they share to a degree language with sort of um Canadian um uh sort of Inuit people and Alaskan people. So they're they're um and originally I think from from Mongolia and actually sort of moved across from Mongolia to, to Canada to the northern uh, to Alaska to mm-hmm. Greenland. So um there's a there's a huge there's a great sort of folk tale tradition storytelling tradition There's lots of sort of really interesting things like they have no word for music um, Sorry, no word for, no word for song no Okay word for music no word for song um, Because singing is seen as the same as talking So they don't divide singing from talking and I think that's Really hard to grasp, actually I still don't quite get that if you don't have a word for a song, then you don't have songs and yeah. Yeah, from our point of view they do have they, they do have songs, but they just don't see them as separate from talking. Mm-hmm. I love that's that crazy that kind of thing trying to get, get your head around the way language dictates what you the way you see the world and um, and to not distinguish between speaking and singing is is an interesting thing as well. yeah, very yeah. interesting so i bought i bought a um, book of translated book of inuit folk tales and they're so hard to follow um they sometimes don't have a start middle and finish Mm -hmm. they don't have a moral to them they are just words in some ways it's really interesting um there was a connection there between, I mean, I think one of the things that I was shocked at in Vancouver was just starting to read about, I went to a um, First Nations sort of restaurant mm-hmm. um, and started reading, I was talking to the, um, the owner of the restaurant and he was sort of giving me books and pointing me in directions about the way in which the Canadian government had treated First Nation and Inuit people, um, which is just awful. Um, and there were connections there because there are, you know, clear sort of community connections with the Inuit people in, in Greenland and um, just I think it's one of those places where I felt, both in that restaurant, oddly, in Vancouver and in Greenland felt that that sense of um, being such an outsider, being such a tourist, mm-hmm. being a you know, just looking in at you here and my people have done terrible things um, and so that sort of odd white liberal guilt thing was was, was there and I, I um, just in those two places really and I'm not quite sure and I, I think I was trying to make some sense of that particularly in the chat book I did about um, Vancouver
3: mm-hmm.
2: or, and about the States I was, I was trying to sort of make sense of that um so yeah i mean the the fact that there was a deliberate attempt to wipe out inuit culture and, and first nations culture in Canada um to remove children from their homes and take them to residential the residential schools mm. you know not to the 1970s they were doing that um and similarly in Australia as well you know i think they and you just think this you know this just awful things of trying to destroy culture. In Greenland, one of the fascinating things was that the Inuit people used to live in big community buildings. They didn't have family homes, they had community homes, so massive wooden sort of huts that might house five or six families.
1: Really? Okay. That's,
2: That's how they lived until the Danes decided, and particularly the missionaries decided, that this was not Christian. <laughs> that this was likely to lead to all sorts of um, dodgy, dodgy behaviour. Um, and so, essentially, the Inuit people were forced into living in smaller family homes. Yeah, like more um,
1: private, secluded yeah. homes instead of the community but, built.
2: Yeah, okay. So, the so Dane, the, the Dane, so European culture dictated you. You know, you will you will live differently. Um, and Greenland has the highest suicide rate in the world. has massive alcohol and drug problems, um, and some of that appears to be the fact that particularly the younger generations are divorced from their own culture, um, but not part of the you know, so
3: mm-hmm.
2: the main culture of the country. So, so interesting. So, with lots of themes that you know kept coming up, you know wherever I was, really about disappearance. You know there were the original sort of nordic settlers in greenland disappeared again no one really knows what happened to them um there's lots of theories but and i love that idea of um the mystery of, of whole communities disappearing and then you know sort of places being left and abandoned and being repopulated again hundreds of years later so, so yeah
1: yeah, very
0: interesting for sure. That's insane. Um, let's see. So, obviously, thank you for sharing all that with us by the way. That is Yeah. I'm sure there's a ton more you probably haven't told us and you know, I'm I'm going to go and read others cuz I'm very interested in those Chapman books now. Yeah, that's um, why everybody needs to go buy your chapbooks. books. Yeah, I keep yeah. saying Chapman <laughs> chapbook. Um, yep. but amazing. So, as far as your writing and photography, where do you see it kind of going down the road maybe you know 10 or so years from now
2: um i, I want to get the the sort of short stories i think there's three things really i want to get the these sort of collection of short stories published ideally that's the the aim they're all like i said earlier that they're, they're all in various stages of development but i'm not far away from getting that done um And that was started in Greenland and then sort of stopped and restarted again a couple of months ago really. Um, So that's one thing. The second thing is I do want to write this um, story of the relationship between black American music and and white British music. Mm -hmm. And the third thing is is a novel which is um, again partially written, possibly half written, and it's based on a guy who's was again from my hometown originally, who um rescued Jewish um prisoners from Auschwitz. Um he was based in the prisoner of a war camp next to Auschwitz and he sort of basically broke in and, and helped it's quite a complicated story, but he helped um rescue Jewish prisoners okay. from concentration camps. Um, it turns out I've been interested in this for a long time, this story, and it turns out that he may have just made most of the story up. Oh, wow. And so when I first discovered it, I thought, here's this great heroic figure. Because one of the other things I'm really interested in writing is is the idea of heroes and maleness and, Mm -hmm. you know, our, our looking for heroes, really. And I thought I'd found this great hero who'd done these, you know, astonishing things it seems likely that he didn't really do very much um wow. but he was sort of taken along by the fact that britain needed heroes and the allies of british and the americans particularly needed to say we did something about what was happening in the concentration camps we we bravely did what we could to to actually undermine them mm-hmm. and to, to to rescue people. It's probably not true. Um, there were there there were certainly acts of individual acts of heroism by British and American prisoners of war, but um, but certainly not by by this guy. This guy's name is Charles Coward, which is a great name. <laughs> <within> the, <it's laughs> Very His ironic. name, Charles Coward, um, and he so the novel originally i was going to do a biography but i think that's not it's not going to happen for a number of reasons so i'm actually basing the novel on his experience and and um really the experience of some of the english prisoners of war british prisoners of war in um in in poland and at that that time so Mm -hmm. um, so there's those three those those three sort of things that i'm working on really at the moment so not i haven't done much photography for for ages not not deliberately i was just thinking about that when we sort of mentioned it earlier mm-hmm. i haven't i used to really like just going out and just choose somewhere to go and just take photos and i haven't done that for months um so but i think these things come and go and you, you sort of find a a focus for a while and then um drift so i haven't given up photography but i haven't really done anything seriously for for
1: a few months okay well yeah i'm sure there's like there's some kind of you know ebb and flow especially since you you know you you basically participate in two different very different you know creative fields of photography and writing i'm sure yeah. you know they kind of go back and forth yeah
0: yeah and yeah, they're both they take they both take a lot of skill and time so i can understand how like maybe you know every now and then you'll kind of do more of the other more than the other and you know obviously the skills is yeah. probably still there and you kind of pick it up when you're ready so mm-hmm. i'm still to see yeah. your photographs and how they come how, how they come about in the future i'm sure you'll come back to it and you know do very well with yeah. it of course that's really cool
1: yeah very cool yeah. um so you you've touched on a lot of them um what would you say you had um left out any of your biggest influences
2: Biggest influences in terms of
1: um, creativity. You know, yeah. it could be anything. You know, maybe because I remember you said specifically, like uh, you know, music journalists had inspired you to write. Um, you know, what what were some of the the biggest influences? You know, throughout throughout your life that made you really want to take up either, you know, poetry, you know, writing, or any kind of photography or anything.
0: And this can I, also be non-creative.
2: I, I think music. I think music, mostly, oddly. I think okay. Um... So it, it, one of those things has just been going around on Facebook about choose your ten favourite albums. Oh yeah. yeah, and and I did that. I did that this morning. I, it, it was. Um, it would be different if I did it tomorrow. You know, it's the usual story. But, but I, <laughs> I 10. Um, and they opened a music and and I I realised I was choosing music only from the late seventies, really. From my adolescence, mm-hmm. and not deliberately, but i thought what what are the what are the albums that most had an influence on me, and it was that period um, I remember I wrote something I think it's on the on my website actually, but there's um the first gig I ever went to, was sensational Alex Harvey band who were quite big in this country i don't think ever. Really had any impact in the states at all, but mm-hmm. they were they were really big in this country. Scottish band, um, and I went to see them, and it was I was just blown away. I just thought, I mean, that, that's what made me feel I, I love music. I love creativity. I want to be Alex Harvey. Alex Harvey was a scary man. He <laughs> was, was actually sort of. He was probably about forty then. He'd been in various rock and roll and blues bands in the in the sixties. And he sort of reinvented himself in the seventies as this um, slightly sinister character, um, quite political, sort of Scottish nationalist, Scottish socialist. Mm-hmm. Um, invented a character called vambo, who there's elements of Bowie, and Bowie mentioned um, at one point I think that he'd stolen some of the way that Alex Harvey actually presented himself on stage. So. I think no no greater compliment than to have both steal something from you so. no joke um, and so there was just something just that gig, and a friend of mine dragged me to that gig, and that sort of changed everything for me i think and and so so one of the when I was choosing my what you know my ten top albums that one of theirs was um, i I chose really um, so i like I realized that um. So Mar- Marvin Gaye, actually, um, which is Let's Get It On. And someone someone mm-hmm. said, he mm-hmm. replied to me, um, but What's Going On is a much better album. And I think What's Going On probably is a much better album. What's Going On was Marvin Gaye being political and much more um, sort of hard-edged and much mm-hmm. more thoughtful. And, um, but actually, I just love Let's Get It On because I heard it first. I heard that before. It was the first Marvin Gaye album I heard in you know, that that voice, I just thought... jeez, you know, that's... um I think I responded to it like, why English kids? Why English kids just loved black American music?
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And... it's a hard thing to, to understand, hard thing to explain. Um... and... I, I don't know, I don't not sure i'm hopefully going to write a whole book about what, what that's about really but yes uh, please do who knows who knows I, I, I don't know what it's like it's um I, I don't really know what what that's about but but i remember so i love the sort of harder you know I, I, when i was looking at those 10 albums this morning <laughs> i thought this is a bunch of white rock music really this is white boy rock music on the whole except for marvin gaye and uh, except for Francois Ardi, who's a French singer,
3: mm-hmm.
2: sort of from the 60s, who um, I also love. And, and, and actually, musically, one of the things I've really got into is European music, particularly French music, the last few years. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, <laughs> so I think, going, oh, I don't know, going back to your... Your question, I think music, music influenced me, but, but just life does, isn't it? I think, you know, relationships, beginning and ending, you know, you want to make sense of them, so you write, or you write a song, or whatever you, you're good at, or you go out and take photos, and mm-hmm. um, you try and reflect what's going on in in your life, and I think there's a, um, there's a quote by Wordsworth about um, poetry being... Um, uh, emotion recollected in tranquility
1: hmm. okay
2: and I think good art is actually emotion recollected in tranquility really I think I think bad art sometimes and bad music sometimes can be here's what I'm feeling right now
3: mm-hmm.
2: and it's not crafted or made into anything it's just a big I'm gonna to vomit over you my anger or my depression or my what um, and that can work. I mean, I think punk. You know, when when punk came along, that that was like that. I think blues when it started was like that. I think early reggae was like that. But um, and soul, you know, soul music was like that when it first started, and it worked. But then, I think for music to have any sort of longevity, it needs more than just to be emotional. It has to have something else. It has to connect, really, with the mind and mm-hmm. uh, whatever with thoughts as well. Um, so so the best music is, is both. Mm-hmm. I have no idea what I'm going on about now. No, you're fine. I <think> see. <laughs> no, no, no. The, yeah, the, the rants are all they're, ran,
0: they're very relevant, though. I mean, you're, you're explaining, you know, why. And I love that. Oh. That's cool. So music and life. That's good. I like that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, as far as branding yourself over the years, well, marketing and branding yourself as far as being a writer and photographer, how have you done that? Like, how have you kind of put yourself out there for the world to see, and you know, for people to like watch your work grow and stuff? What what sources are you using?
2: I haven't, I haven't really, um, and I think that's probably a mistake. I, I don't think I have. Marketing myself, I think Alban, who's the friend of mine who runs the, who sort of published the chat books, mm-hmm. is has been very good at trying to get me to do that, and has actually helped me do that more. Um, but I do have this sort of lack of confidence, and, and I think a sort of self-effacing thing. I think there is something about being English that you know. I remember my my parents would, you know. The worst thing you could be was big headed. That was the the <laughs> worst thing. My mum had real problems with American people. My mum thought Americans were big and loud and brash, and that was the worst thing you could be. And, we, and she'd never met an American, but she just did. <laughs> <laughs> she, so, had she had that preconception. Yeah and 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 i think there was something in in british culture certainly at that time when i was growing up that said you should be quiet you shouldn't be boastful you shouldn't mm-hmm. be you shouldn't put yourself out there you shouldn't market you shouldn't brand yourself and those messages are quite strong i think um there's a friend of mine who's a music journalist um quite well known music journalist and and a writer now um isn't my age, but he got his first job at the, the music magazine that I, I talked about earlier
3: uh-huh.
2: um, by just turning up. He just went there and he sort of just blagged his way in, got to see the editor, noticed that the editor liked had a, a picture up on the wall of an Italian footballer. Okay. And my, my friend really loves Italian football and started getting this embroiled the editor in this conversation about football, walked out of the job. So just blagged his way in to, to, to He was a good writer, but at that time he had no proof that he was a good writer.
3: Uh-huh.
2: Just did it on personality. Um and I wished I'd been like I still wish I'd been able to do that, been that that kind of person. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he he and he's still good he's still i mean he still writes a lot he's still he's pretty well known over here and he markets himself well not in not in a really self-conscious branding 21st century way particularly but he's 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 well known he he networks very well people like him um because he has to survive he's not you know he doesn't have a full-time job he has to survive on what he sells on what he writes so he does little bits on television when oasis he was good friends with um uh oasis he went he did a book about them went spent a year with oasis which i can't imagine to seem to <laughs> that's
1: survive. pretty impressive of anything yeah like yeah. the experience and then the fact that he actually you know spent that time with them
2: but yeah yeah it's um he seemed relatively sane when he came back from a year with oasis but, he, <laughs> but yeah he's, he's he's um and i think he would he would say in fact he did in the book i, I think everything you think about noel and liam is true That's, um, mm-hmm. but he so he he has to push himself mm-hmm. he's not a real extrovert but he's good at he's confident he knows he's good mm-hmm. and he pushes himself and he has done all his life he, all he ever wanted to do was write about music and football and fashion and that's what he's done and I really I really admire that I really respect that and I think I never had that sort of whatever that is that sort of self self confidence sometimes mm-hmm. I have it sometimes I have it but not not to the extent that, that, that he did and I think you know it, it may be maybe too late now but um, so we, we are who we are yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Do you ever, um, I mean, I, I think you made a huge step with the chat book series, especially, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that is putting yourself out there, whether, you know, I mean, it, it sounds like you're going to do the travels either way. So I think putting your artwork in some type of platform, at least was, you know, a step forward. Yeah. Um, do you see yourself trying to maybe push that marketing branding? You, know, you yeah. know, similar to your friend, do you see yourself doing that in the future? Maybe trying to be more comfortable about it? Mm-hmm.
2: I do actually, and i and, you know, and, and I have been, I have been doing it definitely more the last couple of years, and I'm much less um, self-effacing, and less unwilling to do that now than I was. So yeah, I think, um, yeah, I'll, I'll do, I'll do what it, you know, what I can. I think to, mm-hmm. to push. It so, yeah,
1: yeah, that's great.
0: That's awesome. I mean, I definitely don't think it's too late for you. You know to kind of establish your brand you know, your marketing strategy. I think you're doing a lot. I think it's, you've done a lot more than a lot of creatives have done in the last couple of years, you know, so you should definitely be super proud of that. And you doing that is kind of marketing yourself, mm-hmm. you know, in itself. So yeah. definitely, could do that. I can't wait to see how you market yourself more. Um, but yeah, I'm stoked to see kind of where you take that really cool. Absolutely. So, yeah. yeah. So my favorite part of the interview, of every interview, um, do you have any advice for any writers or photographers or any creatives at all of kind of like you know pursuing their dreams and, and just doing it
2: wow I I my immediate response to that is that I, I have no right to give anyone any, any advice really but <laughs> um, I think believe in yourself be, be my mate Paolo don't be me you know if you really feel strongly that you've got a talent then you know, fucking get out there and, and, and push it don't yeah. don't worry about you know. Don't don't worry about whether people like it or not. If you believe in it, it you know some people will like it. Mm-hmm. So don't hold back. I think that would be my advice.
0: Perfect. Yeah, that's awesome. I love that. Yeah. It's very straight to the point. <laughs>
1: I mean, absolutely. Yeah. Cool. Um, so building off of that, you know, building off that brand and everything, we're gonna make you do another step. Uh, where can people? <laughs> Where can people view your work and maybe possibly contact you if they're interested in talking?
2: Um, they can buy the, the chat books, can be bought through Samson Low. So Samson Low is the, the publisher.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and I think they're, so the, the web address is sampsonlow.co. just mm-hmm. .co, or anything, but
1: co. Now I do have yeah. to. Uh, I I hate to interrupt, but I do have to add a little personal interjection. Um, I did buy your chapbooks, mm-hmm. and I just wanted to specifically shout out your friend Alban for handwriting me little notes. I thought oh, that. I <laughs> yeah, I thought, <laughs> I thought that was incredible. I mean, that that you know that it that type of you know genuineness about a person always you know yeah. always follows. So
2: yeah.
1: I'm sorry, keep, it's, keep going.
2: He's he's Alban said. An amazing figure, really, and he's someone who believes in other people and he believes in art as as something democratic mm-hmm. that belongs to to people belongs to the people and um he's he's as elitist and anti elitist as you can be in, yeah. in terms of art, and he's incredibly encouraging and he but he does have that personal touch yeah i didn't I didn't know he'd done that I, I think that's really nice yeah. That's very, that's very open. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, so not just mine, there's, 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 sort of hundreds of different chat books and different bits and pieces on the Samson low website. So it's definitely worth a look at and they're pretty cheap because they're quite small,
3: mm-hmm.
2: small things. So it's definitely worth a look. Um, and my, my stuff, various stuff of really these short, sort of short stories and poems and photos are on, um, it's dot com. It's um, one C and two T's. When Facebook first started up, there was actually a Facebook group called No, it's one C and two T's, and it was set up <laughs> by a, an A cop who was fed up, as I have been all my life saying, "No, it's one C and two T's." <laughs> um, so I'm not quite sure what happened to that that Facebook group, but it was um, it was nice that we could bond together over people misspelling our names. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, so it's Kevin, Kevin dot, dot com. Um I need to get back to it because actually there's have not put very much on there mm-hmm. recently, so I'm going to try and sort of resurrect it and start putting a few more.
0: Yeah, that's great right. to
2: hear.
1: I mean, there, there's still quite a bit of work on
0: there. I was going to say, like, to people yeah. who are listening right now, we've touched the very tip of the iceberg with, uh, with Kev. He has a ton, a ton of, ton of work on his website, so... Please check it out. He's so talented. Um, I was going through it today day at work, and I was like, gosh, he has done so much. Super inspiring. Um, so, yeah, thank you so much. This has been really, really, really cool.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, thank Man. you. We appreciate you willing to stay up so late. Yeah, thank and, uh, you for staying up us. so
2: late. <laughs> He's no, four sure. hours. Nice. <laughs> yeah, I, I might be shy and um, lacking in confidence, but talking about yourself is a nice thing to do. Really, so. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I've enjoyed that.
0: Yeah. Well, we appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you. Well, thanks again.
1: Uh, I certainly appreciate it. We'll, of course, let you know before the episode goes up and can't wait to hear another you know, response about it.
0: Yes. Thank you. Cool. Have a good night. I Thank you. Right. Thanks again, Kevin. Bye. Thank you. That is crazy. <laughs>